Ladies and gentlemen. Steven Spielberg. Well, in a moment, one of these 10 movies will join a list that includes On the Waterfront, Midnight Cowboy, The Godfather, and The Deer Hunter. The other nine will join a list that includes The Grapes of Wrath, Citizen Kane, The Graduate, and Raging Bull. <laughs> Either way, congratulations. You're all in very good company. Here now are your 10 best pictures of the year. Hello there, and welcome to the very first episode of Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, the only podcast that rights the wrongs, celebrates the slighted, and rips Oscars from undeserving hands, bestowing them upon the rightful winners. I am Lee Charles. Beautiful. And I am Spro. And I think before you figure it out as an audience, uh, Lee is the more academic one I'm going to be stumbling about. <laughs> I'm somewhat of a, I would say I'm on the outskirts of the industry. I have about six options in screenwriting, but I have zero productions thus far. I have written music videos for Timbaland, Katy Perry, Drake, Neon Trees, um, and that's kind of my claim to fame. But as far as the Oscars go, every year for the past, I would say about 12 years, I have hosted an Academy Award pool for the Oscars. I like to divvy out all 24 categories, figure out who's going to win. So that it's kind of my Christmas day. It is my Christmas day. It's my favorite day of the year. And I don't participate in that because it's it seems very confusing and intimidating. And uh, full disclosure, I have not watched the Oscars apart from clips in the last couple of years. It used to be a very important day of the year for me as well, but we can get into that later. And I just want to say, first of all, good morning. It's morning here. Good afternoon or evening, wherever you are and whenever you are. And thank you very much for choosing to listen listen today. Sincerely appreciate it. I've been infatuated with cinema since seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark circa 1988. Um, and since then, I have had a love affair with cinema that hasn't really gone away. It's ebbed and flowed here and there. But apart from any personal information, which I don't think is salient, I'll just say I hate when people ask me what my favorite movie is of all time because it's such an impossible question. And anyone who truly loves cinema knows that that question cannot be answered. Uh, and if you can answer that question, then you are either a greater or dumber person than I am. So by clicking on the title of the podcast, you know what movie we're going to talk about. But before we get into King's speech, I think it is imperative, Lee, that our audience understands how it comes to be that people or films win the most prestigious film award out there. I would say it's the most prestigious. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Another episode, we'll talk about who the Academy is, how nominees become winners. There will be a whole educational segment probably at the top of the show about kind of what we're talking about for a little bit until we discuss everything. But in December of every year, PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is an accounting firm, mails out ballots to the over 9,000 Academy members who are all film professionals of all eligible films to be nominated. So when a person gets up and says, I'd like to thank the Academy, that's thanking, you know, like a jury of your peers. The Academy members vote on potential nominees. The specialty members, those in editing, directing, cinematography, may only vote to determine the nominees in their respective field. So like directors only vote for best director, editors only vote for best editing, cinematography, you know, you get the idea. And actors only vote 
for nominees in each acting category. That I did not then, know. I knew, I knew the the part about the um, I knew the fact that it was comprised of people in the industry. I did not know that you know Thelma Schoomaker can only vote for other film editors, which I think is pretty smart. It seems sort of counterintuitive if you have a costume designer casting votes for cinematography. I mean, I'm sure they're far more qualified than the average asshole on the street, but <laughs> I think that's right. that's pretty that's pretty interesting though. I mean, that's like every single editor and every single cinematographer and every single costume designer, every single makeup artist getting together to say, "Hey, this year this was the best person." Yeah, that's that's dope. So, and the other fun fact is when you watch the Academy Awards, they have the box seating, you know, on the sides. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the governors, what they call the governors, sit and the governors are in charge of each one of those categories. So there's 24 governors and they're all kind of sitting over there overlooking the awards. I don't like that term, governors. That sounds... Governor? <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It sounds like, you know, might as well just call them magistrates. The magistrates. <laughs> it just sounds too uh, authoritative. <laughs> but that's all the education I wanted to get to today about that. But I wanted to illustrate how all, according to the documentation, I found 9,941 members of the Academy Awards came up with the top 10 nominees of The King's Speech, 127 Hours, Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are All Right, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, and Winner's Bone. And even reading the list, I feel like we can both agree that probably 10 nominees is too much. <laughs> Wasn't this the first year that they, they flopped over or was it the year before? It was the year before. Okay. Yeah. That was a strange move. Why do you think they did that? I have my own thoughts. <clears throat> they say that they have a problem of finding wider audiences, but there's 30 million people about checking into the show, which I don't think is anything to sneeze at. Perhaps they're saying that it's not enough when you get, if you look at the Academy Awards, like how much money dresses up in suits and dresses and sits in that room, they might want it to be Super Bowl numbers, which I right, don't think you're right. ever going to get. No. Um, but that would probably be my top theory. What's yours? The notion to be more inclusive. It, yeah, I think it probably is rooted in some fiscal desire. Yeah. I mean, I think they probably want bigger numbers. If Inception is nominated for Best Picture, which it probably wouldn't have been with and Toy Story 3 without these 10 nominees, then you have the potential that people that liked Inception or Toy Story 3 might tune in to see if their if their movie wins. I can tell you right now that didn't as a slowly becoming casual viewer of the Oscars, what really turned me off and made me want to change the channel is the constant blowhardiness of every nominee that it just, it's so it's tiresome. I mean, just as recently as Joaquin, you know, I'm gonna throw shade right now at Joaquin Phoenix. I can't take that bullshit. I got no problem with his cause. I got no problem with his cause, but that delusion that we give a fuck about it. I don't know, man. <laughs> I really wanted to watch this year because I wanted to see if Tarantino won anything for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which he didn't, which I think I deep down knew. I thought maybe there was a chance for him for Best Picture. But yeah, I agree with your theory. The other probably reason with the with the 10 Best Picture nominees is, so I had to look it up, but on average, about 600 Hollywood films are released each year or made each year. And to be eligible for the Academy Awards, you had to have at least one week run in LA in an 
L.A. movie theater. So 600 films, yeah? And then when it all comes down to it in 2011, when we say the Academy Awards of 2011, we're really meaning that the award ceremony took place in February of 2011. All these films were released in 2010. 600 films, how many do you think were represented in the Academy Awards? Meaning of those 600, how many received at bare minimum at least one nomination? Correct. Of Not including like best foreign and best documentary. Uh, I'll go. I'll go with fifty. A little high. It's about thirty. It, that's about a solid five percent. So five but, out of every one hundred movies. <laughs> yeah, but you got to think about it. like there's a lot of shit out there. Like you go through Netflix, who especially Hulu. I don't know what Hulu's doing, but that's a shit factory right there. <laughs> so 95% not represented by the Academy. You'll find the same movies nominated by the Academy Awards as you will by the Golden Globes, BAFTA, which is the British version of the Academy Awards, SAG, Producers Guild, Directors Guild, Critics' Choice, a ton of award shows, and most yeah. of them will agree yeah. on like really- the top ones. They're really good in Hollywood at patting each other on the back, aren't they? Yeah. You know, there are some politics involved. And as we do more and more shows, I think we will find more and more movies that were released that year that didn't get any praise from any of the award shows, even this year that we're talking about. I don't know what I would nominate Scott Pilgrim versus the world for. I just watched it again. And there's, while I love Edgar Wright, there's some definite character arc issues in that and pacing shutter island is a big one that i would say for this year that got no love and i i don't necessarily know why might have been leo scorsese fatigue it might have been the twist at the end people felt they'd seen it already it's kind of an upsetting film i mean it's not kind of an upsetting film it's filicide depicted in it so it's i mean it's i, I showed it to my dad that was one that even i after seeing in the theater i was like i don't know caught it on cable maybe Four years later, three years later, and fucking commercials every 15 minutes. And the commercials were almost as long as the 15-minute chunks of the movie. It was edited. It was edited for content. I think it was edited even for length, maybe a little bit. But I sat there for two and a half hours and watched the whole thing. And I was like, okay, I need to buy this movie. Way better than I thought so, after first viewing. Your first... So I read the book. I wish I didn't read the book before the movie, just considering the fact that... I, like, Dennis Lehane is one of my favorite authors. He's done Mystic River. Yep. The, the books that became movies, he's did Mystic River, Shutter Island, Gone Baby Gone. Which <laughs> I like uh, Lahane's. I like Lahane's The Drop. But I, you know, so I went in that movie and knew what the twist was, and so I didn't know was the twist as jaw dropping as it should have been. Or you're saying that people were um, for anybody that's not seen Shutter Island. Just spoiler alert: it, it's a case of not split personality, but it's a case that you find out in the end that your protagonist has been mentally compromised. I mean, that still leaves a little bit if it's spoiled for you at this point, still leaves a little bit to figure out. <laughs> I don't know that it wasn't jaw dropping. I just it felt like that that reveal had been done so frequently in cinema in the last 10 years. I'm struggling now to think of anything other than Fight Club. <laughs> you wouldn't have nominated anybody from uh, Shutter Island? Well, knowing uh, that like our top 10 are like the kids are all right. Well, I think that comes back to inclusiveness. I think the kids are, are all right. 
uh, an LGBTQ film. I'm sure it's a good film. Like you, I haven't seen it, which we'll get to in a second. I think Winter, Winner's Bone and Kids Are All Right are strong female characters that might have been the impetus as well there. I, I don't. I, I think everything Scorsese does, it should be in that top 5%. That's the best way to put it. So, Well, on today's show, we are talking about who won Best Picture in 2011. And the Oscar goes to The King's Speech, Ian Canning, Emile Sherman, and Gareth Unwin Producers. The King's Speech has 12 Academy Award nominations this year, winning four Oscars for Original Screenplay, Directing, Lead Actor, and Best Picture. So yes, The King's Speech, highest grossing rated R film in 2010, which was pretty much the only compliment that I could give to its box office draw because it was not even in probably like the top 48 movies of that year. The release date was November 26, 2010 in America. I'm sure there were were TV spots. I'm a cord cutter. So at this time I was only getting cable once a year and that was for the NHL playoffs. So I would have cable for two, three months and then cancel it. So if there were TV spots, I didn't see them. I also wasn't anticipating it. You and I are both large fans of Fincher. If it wasn't for you, I would probably not have ever seen Fight Club in the theater, but I get to claim to people that I was one of the few who got to see it in the theater. So uh, Social Network was on my radar for a while. I was very excited for it. Well, it makes sense that this was released in November. Knowing now that PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, releases the ballots in December, they're going to release everything that they want to be fresh in the people's minds right before they send those ballots out. Sure. So probably the production companies knew that they had something that could be nominated for awards if they just make sure that they release it close to the ballots. I think that was a smart move on their part because of how how much the King's Speech, I don't think, sticks with you. You're saying if it had been released in, say, March or something like that, it would have been forgotten by the time nominations came around 10 months later. I mean, don't you? Yeah, don't I you? agree. I agree. But I want to talk about some of the other award shows. And it wasn't until last night that I thought about the MTV Movie Awards, which still go on. The prestigious MTV. You know what? <laughs> I, I want to, to recant what I said. I don't think the Academy Awards are the most. The best picture is not the most. I think it's best kiss. <laughs> I forgot about the MTV Movie Awards, but I legitimately Man, got you excited. Should. You did not watch these as a kid? Like, I used to get excited no, I, for I watched like, them as a kid. Well, the MTV Movie Awards, they had their own nominations, which, funny enough, three of them were Academy Award nods. And you don't think, like, the MTV viewing audience, I would say, was probably 12 to 20, maybe, that age rate. I think I'm being generous with 20 years old. 12 to 18. Uh, But they did nominate The Social Network, Inception, and Black Swan, which is interesting considering the fact that Black Swan, you recently viewed it and were just kind of surprised at how sexual it was. I've seen it before, and it is. I don't know how surprised that would be that MTV would push it. It's got a young star in it. So you have somebody who has sex appeal, like Natalie Portman. I mean, MTV is all about sex appeal. So but it's not uh, pleasant not, sex. Yeah, boy, is it not, man. I mean, I, I was transported back to 2010 when I watched it the other day. I had to watch it in chunks too, because it's it is. I forgot how. I mean, it's essentially a horror movie. Is it? Is it logged? Mm-hmm. Is it categorized as horror? I think it's fucking, drama. It's fucking terrifying at parts. <laughs> 
But yeah, the uh, sex scenes, you know, with the subtext, it, yeah, it's Aronofsky is <laughs> it's very good. It's very, very good. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, the other two films that MTV nominated were Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One. Which I'm going to say right now, I would put that in the bottom two Harry Potter movies. I would say, in fact, I would say Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone is better, <laughs> is better than that one. Deathly Hallows okay. Part One is the worst of all of the Harry Potter movies. It is so fucking boring. I don't care when Dobby dies. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Their last <laughs> nomination, which was Twilight Eclipse. Ugh. I will be a fan of Twilight New Moon. I will put that on record, not for any awards, but I did, you know, I binge read the the series and I'm Team Jacob all the way. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> if we move on to the Golden Globes, there are surprising things that the Golden Globes nominated that MTV Movie Awards did not, which like their first one is Alice in Wonderland. But the Golden Globes has that thing where they also nominate five in Best Drama and five in Music and Comedy. So they also have 10, but it seems like there's a little separation. All right. That never makes sense either. The big uh, quibble being, what is it, The Martian? Being a comedy. Musical comedy. Then they have Burlesque Red, which is a surprising nom. That's the one that has Ellen Mirren and, and Bruce Willis and all of them. And then The Tourist, which I recently tried to view and still could not. Producers Guild put down The Town with Ben Affleck. Great. It's a great bank robbery movie. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's 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 entertaining. So let's talk about the Academy Awards. Let's talk about the movies that were nominated so the King's Speech, just to remind you again what it beat out, the, the long list of 10, 127 hours, Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are All Right, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, Winner's Bone. Okay. I can eliminate five, probably six of these right off the bat that I don't think should join the... Have you ever been to Hollywood? When I was very young and I don't remember it. So short answer, not really. You walk into the Dolby, when everybody's walking in the red carpet, they're walking into what is essentially a mall. And the mall has red curtains along the, the walls to hide the stores. And that's what the nominees are being interviewed on, on the Oscars red carpet leading in. Oh. Now on the pillars of this of this mall they have in steel the years and the titles of everybody that has won best picture and they have these kind of set up to go to run until like 2050 and so when you win best picture you are then kind of encased on the pillars of where everybody's going to walk when they go to the academy awards oh, it sounds like what they do with the stanley cup yeah you know you're preserved in history and when it comes to nominations with the top 10, I feel like like the kids are all right. You and I are both cisgender heteronormative uh, cinema consumers. This was not a film made for us. The plot is uh, a lesbian couple, Nick and Jules, have been together for 20 years, bringing up two children thanks to the contributions of anonymous sperm donor. And then, and then of he course, shows up they, and he's a prick or something. Yeah, uh, they make contact. He's a laid back restaurateur. But I feel like that's kind of a standard story, is it not? It just sounds like the makings of a drama, which 
to be fair, if it was a gay couple or if it was a heterosexual couple or if they were transsexual couple or transgender couple or whatever the correct terms are, I probably still wouldn't watch it. I, I, I just it's a it seems to me a very trite film that's probably more than likely very overacted. The weird thing, so Annette Benning won the Golden Globe for being in a Julianne Moore plays her wife. And they, you know, they got a claim for playing a lesbian couple. And I kind of, I have no horse in this race, but I feel like when something is, is casted like this, I kind of over straight people winning a claim for playing gay. And why not just give these roles to gay couples or gay people that can play homosexual relationships? And then I'm such a believer in natural. Like it's the same thing with uh, international films or like Jennifer Lawrence playing Russian in Red Sparrow. Like just to be like, oh, look, she could pull off a Russian accent. No, just find me a Russian man that has a Mi- Russian accent. Mia Jovovich. She should be in every. Everything. I would I'd say you got an interesting point and I'm sure that there are plenty of homosexual actors that would appreciate that sort of um I think I didn't I think, get woke to it until uh what's her face from Hard Candy Ellen Page Ellen Page Ellen Page yeah and she you know she came out as gay and she you know she's sometimes uncomfortable playing straight roles and I was like, oh, yeah, Ellen Page, she could play these, you know, these gay roles. Sean Penn as Harvey Milk was pretty fantastic performance. I, I agree with his win that year. Uh, I don't think he should have won for Mystic River. I think that's a I think that's, that's, an, a overrated, that's an overrated <laughs> performance. But um, and then I would also call back to Heath Ledger in Brokeback. I'm trying to I've been sitting here trying to think of of a openly gay actor or actress who should I just say actor? If uh, Fanish was here, she'd be like, it's just actor. I'm trying to pr- I'm trying to conform to we're doing an Oscar show and they still say actor and actress. Um, I'm trying to can you think of can you think of an openly gay actor who has played a heterosexual role? And I mean, you cited Paige, but she didn't come out until after the fact. So that's sort of a the only person I keep thinking of is uh, Doogie Hauser in Gone Gone Girl. <laughs> Let's move forward. So kids <laughs> all right. are all right. Get that out of there. We're down to nine. Next one I think is pretty easy is Toy Story 3. And my thoughts on the, like, one, I love, I walked out of Toy Story 3 and was like, man, if Pixar just wants to make Toy Story movies for the rest of their, for the rest of their lives, I'll be down with it. Because I love Toy Story. I, I would rank them three, one, two at that time. Um, now it's three, one, two, four. I got what I wanted. They made a Toy Story 4 and I walked out disappointed. But I don't believe, so this also won Best Anime animated feature that year. And I feel like if the Academy Awards were going to nominate them for best animated film or best picture, they had to choose one. Like, I don't think you should be able... Parasite did it this year where they won best international film and best picture. I feel like it does a disservice to either the best picture winners or the best international or the best animated to keep these in their categories. Okay. I I think that's a good argument. And I would say, fuck Pixar. That would be... Uh, well, I mean, I, I am a huge, huge fan of Finding Nemo, Ratatouille, 
Monsters Inc. in that order. I even like Wally, and I think uh, actually I think Wally is a little overlooked. I I've only seen it mm-hmm. one and a half times too. I think something like that. But it's one that I think of. I, Pixar has gotten so predictable. Good God, that new one Onward looks so f- stupid. It looks like Saturday morning cartoons. It doesn't look like anything magical or fun. Did you ever see Brave? I never saw Brave. I saw Brave. I have. To, I'm not one to really subscribe to trigger warnings or whatnot but i had a friend see onward and she said that it made her really miss her dad and i guess it's all about you know losing your father and i just recently lost mine so i was like maybe that i can't see that right now (laughs) right well that's the other thing too that it's that it's that like i don't know man i I can't stand uh manufactured emotion and every story that i can think of that they keep trying to do feels like they're just making movies for people who need a good therapeutic sob and fuck that you know what make a good movie with a good story with good characters and we're organically going to get emotional don't force it it's irritating getting fired up all right so toy story 3 is out we're down to eight the next one i put on the list is the fighter i'm a big boxing movie buff like i love cinderella man i i will go to bed for southpaw even with jake gyllenhaal the creed movies were great i will sit in a boxing movie and i will twist my and contort my shoulders as if i'm in the ring i've never been in a fist fight in my life proud of that but i feel like i've watched enough boxing movies where i might do (laughs) all right should i ever get into one but this is you make a good point there's a lot of boxing movies i've never considered that as far as sports movies go i think that's my number one you know like a lot of people will go football and and say remember the titans or baseball with the natural or major league even but god boxing movies so fucking boring admittedly i've never seen it because baseball is not my sports movie it's it's boxing for me i do feel like there's only so many boxing movies that that you could do like the the storylines are kind of similar and the the fighter is no different am i wrong is this a true story is fighter based on a real dude and his brother it it is isn't it inspired by a true story yeah Yeah, because i feel like when bale won best supporting this year that the actual recovering crackhead brother was in the audience am i or he was outside being like (laughs) that's a good story i don't know if it's true but that's a good story i think he was i think he was that movie was forgettable for me um i don't even remember bale i remember amy adams i remember amy amy adams beating the fuck out of those boston skags that were like you fucking bitch (laughs) she like yanked their hair and fucking knocked him out it's great she's great in that movie all we ever wanted for you was to be world champion mickey's a grown man he can think for himself shut your mouth skank don't call me skank i'll rip that nasty hair right out of your fucking head i'm his mother but uh, yeah, she, that's she's the only thing I remember. She was nominated, so that's a good thing. Yeah, she hasn't. She's never won, has she? Mm-mm, no. And doesn't Jay? Doesn't J Law have two? Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> it's fucking gross. True Grit would be the next one that we talk about. I actually, when we started talking about it, I was like, all right, I, I'm going to watch this movie. And I only got about halfway through. I did end up finishing it and liking it. There's just something to it that just did not feel finished, I guess. Like, I like the Coen brothers, but maybe the mood was off for me. Um, it's a Western. It's about a little girl who's trying to find a hitman to kill the man that killed her father. And Haley Steinfeld, I guess, I think it was like one of her first movies, if not the first. She did a good job. Oh, uh, she great. delivered her lines very well. Matt Damon showed up and his performance was kind of like interstellar where you're like, why is Matt Damon here? <laughs> 
to uh, me. I would I would argue that he is maybe in his best role in this movie as a a kind of a cocky prick, someone who has their heart in the right place. I'm not a huge Matt Damon fan. In fact, I'm not even a um, moderate or mild Matt Damon fan. I don't care for him at all. And yeah, when he showed up in Interstellar and did the classic, the Matt Damon crying that we first saw in Courage Under Fire. <laughs> Fucking terrible. But yeah, I liked him in this movie. I really liked this movie. Barry Pepper is in it. I always, I think Barry Pepper needs to have his name known. I feel like for a majority of the viewing audience, uh, Barry Pepper is a, that guy, you know? Uh, he does amazing in this film. Um, if you, got, if you don't would, know who Barry Pepper is, Barry Pepper is probably best known as the the sniper who speaks to God in Saving Private Ryan. 25th Hour, I remember seeing him in that. I think he, he was intended as a leading man, but he's sort of become a bit of a character actor. He's got striking feet. He's like a William Defoe. He's got striking features. He's got really pursed lips. He's got a very sharp nose, but he, he does great in this movie. There's a scene where he's stepping on Haley Steinfeld's head and you can tell that like when somebody grabs somebody's hair, this is stage combat for everybody. <laughs> when somebody grabs somebody's hair in a movie and is like dragging around their head, they're actually just leaving a fist on the top of the person's head and the person is grabbing their wrist and moving it around and moving their head around. So it's all the person that's being grabbed. It's their reaction that you're seeing. It's that's the that's the trick of a hair grab in a movie. In this, you could tell that Barry Pepper is just balancing his foot right above Haley Steinfeld's head and she's moving all around and it's like a 5 minute scene where just the stage combat is on the spectrum side of atrocious uh-huh. and it took me out and I was like and I, and I would not put this on the pillar of the Dolby Theater as a best picture and that would be my argument on that okay I, I mean I could agree with you that it's probably not best picture material but with 10 nominees it's absolutely in the top 5% I think the pacing of this movie I would put on par with Star Wars Episode 4 and New Hope it feels like it ends just as it starts to really get going. And when you mm-hmm. look back over it for a second or a third or a fourth time, you see how well paced it is, how well edited it is. I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. I've been big fans of theirs since before college. And they have such a unique way of writing. And I've never read the book True Grit, though I've looked some stuff up. And apparently the tone of the book and some of the language in the book, some of the dialogue is far more closely matches the Coen Brothers film than the, I think it was 1969 True Grit with John Wayne. This was fun too, because I got to get in an argument with my father about, you know, which one's better. And uh, obviously I prefer this one because in my opinion, I think the tone is fantastic. I think the, the mood is fantastic. I think just little scenes and little side characters, the whole sequence with the traveling dentist who's wearing bear skin. <laughs> I have removed his teeth, but I will t- <laughs> I will accept offers for the rest of him. Much obliged. I have taken his teeth. I will entertain an offer for the rest of him. That's, I mean, and Haley Steinfeld is amazing. Everyone in every Coen Brothers movie is good. Would you put in the top five? Yeah, I would. Yep. So we could probably agree that the next movie is Winner's Bone. Do you remember this movie? I do not. 
I don't care for Jennifer Lawrence. I do not care for her. When you look at her and when she interacts with people, she reminds me of like the captain of the volleyball team in high school, like super like wholesome. And, but that's not, I I don't think that's who she is. I think she is, she's much better at hiding her ego than someone like say Scarlett Johansson, who, when she does interviews, it's like, Oh, we're so fucking fake. (laughs) I don't know why I'm so hateful this morning. Maybe it's, you're so po- maybe it's because you're so positive. Maybe you you bring out the hate in me. I'm the good cop. You're the bad cop. I'll play that role. World needs villains. Jennifer Lawrence. Well, this was Jennifer Lawrence before she was Jennifer Lawrence. Like this is when I feel like people have turned on her because when she was first coming out, you know, she was tripping at the Academy Awards. She was showing people her uh, what my sister refers to as teacher flab, which is the the fat on the underside of your your tricep fat. I guess That's my sister up, calls dude. it teacher flab because it flabs around when you're writing writing on the chalkboard that shows your Um, sister's age because there's no more chalkboards (laughs) this was lawrence's first film uh she was a teenage girl on the ozarks of missouri ozark is a fantastic show right now on netflix but to protect her family from eviction she must locate her missing father as far as a film it's a simple premise but it was highly forgettable and it's you know bottom five for me it's something that i would want to watch just simply based on the low budget nature of it and the fact that I, i like i like that story um you know the idea that this this young girl steps up to help her family i just haven't mm-hmm. gotten around to it and the other thing i don't like about j-law is uh her association with uh, david o russell other than three kings i can't think of a movie that he's made that i was impressed by i think he's an excellent student of film but i think his movies are they're not for me anyway ne- negativity I mean- again so yeah, winner's bone down. So now we're down to five. 127 hours would be the next film to talk about, which I think we all knew the story, I think, before the movie came out. It was a very popular story about a man who gets trapped while hiking. A boulder falls on his arm. And after four or five days, he decides to cut off his arm with a dull pocket knife. And that is how he survives, which is a great story. You could see immediately why somebody went, yeah, let's buy the rights to that. And I think Danny Boyle, I like Danny Boyle. He's one of those directors that I go, okay, I'm going to go see this movie just because he's directing it. It might not be up my alley, but Train Spotting, I revisited again. And that film, I think, is great. So Danny Boyle taking the helm of this film, which just has one man trapped in a crevice underneath a boulder and pulling it off where it's not just that it's a whole character study, I think was was a really good film for the year. Not best picture. I would say that's fine that it gets a nomination. I would also say how they cleverly did the script. Great that it was nominated for a best adapted screenplay off of the book. But uh, this would probably be the sixth film that I could say, take it out of the running. I would agree with you. It's not one that I'll ever rewatch. Franco's fantastic. He holds the movie, Danny Boyle's direction and, you know, um, the style. I still remember him thinking about the the sweating bottle of Gatorade back in his car when he when the thirst really starts to mm-hmm. hit home with him. But yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's memorable. Well, anytime like I, I picture cutting off my arm, which doesn't really happen very much, I do picture <laughs> hitting nerves, the sound that they had made when in the movie. It's a disturbing scene when he finally cuts off his arm. And I think that's kind of... When he pokes it with the scalpel and all the air 
like the trapped gases from his arm rotting is like <laughs> it's, fucking gross. I think people went to see 127 Hours to watch a man, to watch James Franco cut off his own arm. So that would be my bottom six movies of the year. And then my bottom seventh movie will be the movie that we are talking about today, which is The King's Speech. Dethroning. And I think I think The King's Speech right off the bat does a horrible disservice with just the title alone. When you go see The King's Speech, you know that you're going to go into a theater and watch and, and wait for the ultimate climactic moment of the king giving a speech. You are familiar. I hope I'm not, you know, mansplaining to you. You are familiar with the, I guess you would call it an idiom or a colloquial. The King's English or the King's Speech. Yeah. It's a clever little pun. Back up. What? (laughs) Explain that to me a little bit more. I think I just kind of blonde agreed with you. During the reign of any king, you know, everything is referred to, you know, the styles of the time, the, the architecture. So, for example, furniture sometimes is named for the kings or queens who sat on the throne when that style of furniture was in vogue. So a Queen Anne's chair, for example, my parents had one of these in the don't go in there room. So when you say the king's speech, the king's English, meaning um, it's not just the speech that he's going to deliver in the in the movie, but it's also a reference to the way in which he talks and the way okay. and, and not only is it actually, I guess it's a triple pun because it's a reference to the way he speaks, the speech he's going to give and this very British way of referring to the ruler owning everything, the king's English, the king's speech. But I didn't realize that it was so deep. The thing with Helena, I was just going to say she's great and everything. I think she could have just rolled out of bed and done this one. Probably skipped brushing her teeth too because she all she does is play a very one note. I'm supportive. I love him. Hi. Oh yes. You've never met royalty before, but but have no fear. You you call me mom like palm and not ma'am like ham. Uh, it's just it's very one note. She probably did it with little to no preparation. So while she's great, and while I cannot stand Melissa Leo who did win that year, I don't I don't know that she deserved an Oscar for this one. Melissa Leo also beat out Amy Adams for the fighter. Would you have handed it to Amy? For the year oh, over yeah. Helen Bottom Carter and Melissa Leo? Without a doubt. Good enough. Good enough. Yeah. So we're in uh, top four films, Black Swan, Inception, The Social Network, The King's Speech, which I think is a, are a solid four for best picture of the year. I agree. I agree. The King's Speech was nominated for 12 awards, which perfect, perfect award. Nobody has ever hit the number, but if you had a perfect Academy Award run, it would be 17 awards. So this is nothing to sneeze at. Um, only three films in history have, have earned 14 awards, which is all about about Eve, uh, my favorite 1950s movie, Titanic, and La La Land, which I did not like. The nominations were for Best Film Editing, Cinematography, Art Direction, Sound Mixing, Original Score, Screenplay, and then the Acting, Directing, Best Picture Awards. I just want to say of all of those awards that it was nominated for, I think the one that it won that it most deserved was for Colin Firth's performance. It went toe-to-toe. Really, two films were making the race for the Academy Awards. And that was Social Network and King's Speech. Inception was the one, it was probably the MTV Movie Awards. That was for the younger audience. Everybody was amazed at Christopher Nolan's cinematography and special effects with that film. So much so that I feel like Doctor Strange that Marvel did wouldn't have as cool of effects as they did if Inception doesn't come out. It's kind of like the Matrix of its time when everybody just started doing that bullet time 
choreography. So that was the inception. Uh, was probably, as far as the Academy goes, fourth place. Black Swan, which was, like we said, a very dark film. One of his best films, I think, is Requiem for a Dream. And that film is so dark that I can't yeah. watch it again. <laughs> yeah, that I was going to say the exact same thing. I'll never watch that movie again. But it was so good. Like, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I tell people, you have to watch Requiem for a Dream, but I'm not going to do it with you. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen Requiem for a Dream, you have to watch it. But if you want to watch it again, I'm going to judge you. <laughs> Like, that's kind of how I feel about that. And Black Swan is is very similar. Like, I watched it once. Uh, you and I were talking about it recently. And I, I remember everything that you're talking about. And I'll probably see certain scenes from Black Swan again. Like, I'll watch them on YouTube uh, just because I, I, I think Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis, does, they do a fantastic job with it. I just, it's so dark and it's so the opposite. I don't know if downlifting is even a thing, but I would say the opposite of uplifting it's it's a downlifting movie it's sort of like an oxymoron though because you can't lift something downward can you yeah no um aronofsky is uh makes a lot of difficult movies but between i would say requiem pie and black swan are his when i say difficult i just mean they're very jarring requiem would be at the top i think pie would definitely be second black swan is the most palatable for me I also think it's the best of those three stories. I'm glad I bought it for $4.99. It's not going to be one of those ones that I'm going to be reach for and say, let's, let's sit down with some popcorn and watch Black Swan. It's not going to, you know, I'm not going to, uh, if I watch it, it's going to be because I'm in a contemplative mood or I want to be studious and, and see something that is very, very artful. Did you know that that movie is slandered by a lot of anime fans on the internet no why is that there's a there's an anime called perfect blue which aronofsky bought the rights to because there's a shot that he wanted to mimic from it and he did it in requiem i believe it's like a bathtub scene with jennifer Connolly. why do you need to i don't think you need to buy the rights to uh to mimic a camera shot but maybe you do i don't know i guess it wasn't just the camera movement like when spielberg mimics the hitchcock dolly forward and zoom out or dolly backward and zoom in you know that like where the the background sort of zooms behind the person you know what i'm talking about right yeah, yeah I don't the think, vertigo effect. yes yes very good and um so i don't think you have to buy i don't think you have to buy it but maybe it was because everything around it was the same so perfect blue is about a a girl who is a lead singer of a band and she quits the band and tries desperately to shed her good girl image and go on a solo career i've never seen it not a huge fan of anime in fact if i can recycle a joke i used earlier i'm not a mild fan of anime <laughs> i cannot get in i cannot get into that and miyazaki would be the deepest i've ever gone spirited away and howl's moving castle but yeah i found that interesting that 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 movie black swan is essentially his remake of perfect blue in a sense so this was so the top four films are the ones that are sweeping the oscars really black swan natalie portman wins for black swan inception wins for sound mixing the only one that kind of like sneaks in is alice in wonderland which i did not like as a film but that one for art direction which doesn't make sense to me because i didn't think alice in wonderland was anything but green screen so i don't know why that would win i could see costume but not production design so maybe we should look into that because i thought art direction was the realia and alice in wonderland didn't have a lot of realia I, I, that's the first time i think i've ever heard that word <laughs> 
Oh, so like, you know what I'm saying though, right? Yeah, no, totally. Glad I started the show saying that you're the academic and I'm the color commentator. (laughs) (laughs) So they go head to head in scripts. Social Network wins for Adapted because it was based off of the book. King's Speech wins original, original screenplay. We could probably do a whole episode on how I feel about how to call something original. This was based off of a true story. I'm sure the research was done on multiple books and reference points. I don't know if I would necessarily award it original. And then you get into the the acting categories. You get Best Supporting Actress goes to Melissa Leo from The Fighter. We already said Amy Adams. I've, Amy Adams, I think, is is amazing in everything that she does. The year that she had with Arrival and Nocturnal Animals, and it went to Emma Stone for La La Land. That's one of my most anger-inducing years. She's been nominated six times, number one. Yeah. Best Supporting Actor went to Jeffrey Rush, who I thought turned in a Jeffrey Rush performance. It was a good performance. Yeah. I, yeah. I think he delivered what was on the on the page, though. He went over Christian Bale for The Fighter, which I guess was easily forgettable. I don't know who I would give it to. Guy Pierce, actually, from King's Speech, I think, stole the show, which I think a Best Supporting Actor nomination slash award should go to. If somebody shows up on the on the margin and makes it so every scene he's in with the best actor or the lead is his scene, I think they should be looked at. You need to give some credit to Colin Firth too. I mean, every scene with Guy Pierce isn't Colin Firth also in there? I don't think there's one yes. scene where Pierce is in there. The only scene where Pierce is alone is the voiceover of him delivering the speech where he pledges allegiance to his uh, to the new king, his brother. I mean, Pierce has been bad in, in other things. He's frequently good, but I think he's best he's best when he's around other good actors and actresses. I don't think it's a nom-worthy performance. I think it's pretty standard, just like Bonham Carter. Okay. And then we get to Best Actor. I don't want to say that's the top three. We're Best Actresses fourth. Uh, best Actress went to Natalie Portman. That was deserving. And then Best oh, Actor yeah. is... Can I, can I talk real quick just about her? I keep interrupting you and I feel bad. Don't feel bad. She is so, so good in that movie. What an impossible role that must have been to play. You know, we look at the... When we talk about best actor here in a second, what an impossible role her role must have been compared to every other nom for this year. I mean, she depicts, and I again, I think it's a, a lot of help from her director, but Portman's a workhorse. You know, she trained for a year uh, so that the ballet would look realistic. And she has, she has such a coyness in the first half of the movie when she interacts with Toma and he's trying to, you know, he's creepy. <laughs> That guy's fucking creepy in that movie. I don't know when the last time you saw that was, but he he's seducing her, but then you find that it's also him trying to coax the bad side, the bad girl out of her. And when he is beginning that process and he's flirting with her, her reactions, her eye movement, her her blinking, even her blinking speed and her little coy smiles where he's like, you know, you know, have you been with a man? And she's like, yeah. Be perfect. You what? Wanna be perfect. (sighs) Perfection is not just about control. It's also about letting go. Surprise yourself so you can surprise the audience. Transcendence. And very few have it in them. I think I do have it in. Ah! You bit me? 
I can't, I can't believe you, you bit me. I'm sorry. And it's so, it feels, it feels fake, but it feels like Portman intended for it to feel fake because boiling under, bubbling underneath all of that facade is her nasty, vindictive, egotistical self just waiting to claw its way out. And oh man, I mean, she's worth a viewing of that flick even, even once if you've never seen it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, and I'm not a, I'm not a huge Portman fan. I like Portman. All right. So that brings us to Best Actor, which went to Colin Firth, who obviously was the king in the King's Speech and played a stuttering. I don't know if we got into what the King's Speech is about. The King George the something whose father is dying from something. It seems as though it's dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that. Mm. Um, it's never it's never given a name because I've, I've watched it now like two and a half times since we decided on this topic through a series of um, that death and then his brother's abdication of the throne in favor of living with this divorced American woman. He become uh, this this the the younger brother that was probably never meant to become king or never nobody ever thought that he would become king becomes king. And he sees this potential coming and is filled with trepidation because he has manifested from an early age a stutter. So not to get too personal, but it's about someone working through with the help of a, a very caring doctor slash friend. It's about somebody working through past trauma, anxiety. So I dig that aspect of it. Firth is amazing in this movie. I mean, I want to say that Eisenberg could have won it. Either one of them could have won it because I think they're both amazing in their own right. But I think Firth has the best scene when he when he has his breakthrough moment, when he's building the model airplane or whatever it is. I think it's an airplane. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he just starts talking about how demonstrative his father was and how abusive, just subtly abusive and low-key abusive that his nanny was. And he sings, you know, far, far away, but he sings the line, and then she wouldn't feed me far, far away. Closest to in your family. Nannies. Not my first nanny. She, she, she loved David. Hated me. When we were presented to my parents for the daily viewing, she'd be, she'd pinch me, so I'd cry and be handed back to her immediately. And then she would. Sing it. Then she wouldn't feed me far, far away. Took my parents three years to notice. As you, as you can imagine, caused some stomach problems. Still. That shit gives me chills, dude, because you can see like this is the first time that he's vocalized this. And the the, the cuts that Hooper does back to, to Rush's reaction, that scene alone is, is pretty powerful. It's not the fuck, fuck, baga, baga, fuck, fuck. <laughs> it's not that dumbass right. scene. It's, yeah, it's that. It's the peeling away of the layers. And qu quite honestly, you know, you and I were kind of pre-talking about this. If you've got somebody like Colin Firth against somebody like Jesse Eisenberg, Colin Firth's going to get the win. I mean, he's an established stage, British stage 
theta actor. His vocalics, I mean, his his stutter is really good. It's painful to listen to. He does something with his R, which is so irritating. When he says something, instead of saying probably, he says probably. But it's so subtle. He changes the R into a W. Some kind of aristocratic, bougie way of speaking, but God damn it, it's good. And it irritates me. I'll agree with all this. So this is a two-person race because this is uh, the best actor nominees were Colin Firth, Jesse Eisenberg, James Franco, Jeff Bridges, and Javier Bardem, who was nominated for, I think it's pronounced beautiful, but it's spelled B-I-U-T-I-F-U-L. We're saying this is a two-person race. This is Colin Firth and Jesse Eisenberg from The Social Network, correct? Agreed. My thing when it comes to best actors, best actresses, any of the acting categories, you have to make me forget that I have seen your other work. And I think with Jesse Eisenberg, I've seen Jesse Eisenberg's other work. He does so well in The Social Network. I think that's him. (laughs) (laughs) He does have Asperger's, if that's still even a thing. I think Asperger's in the new DSM was absorbed into the autism spectrum. So no longer referred to as Asperger's, which sucks because you don't get to say Asperger's anymore. I think he lives in Ohio. He got away from Hollywood. He's in the Midwest somewhere just to stay away from, you know, everything that Hollywood offers, which is a lot of insanity, I would say. Yeah. I didn't know that he had Asperger's, but I feel like if he doesn't. Well, one, Aaron Sorkin writes incredible dialogue, but incredibly difficult dialogue that you have to deliver at an incredibly difficult speed. And Jesse Eisenberg does it not only so well, but he's delivering punchlines of jokes at a rapid pace, which Aaron Sorkin does with his wit. I think Jesse Eisenberg delivers the best Sorkin performance. What else would you put up there? Don't you fucking say anybody from Few Good Men. God damn you. No, Tom Cruise. F that, dude. (laughs) From A Few Good Men. That's one of Tom Cruise's best performances. But I don't think Jesse Eisenberg will get a part that suits him so well than he did Mark Zuckerberg from The Social Network ever again in his life. I agree. To disclose it all, I don't see a lot of his movies. I'm aware of, you know, something like The Art of Self-Defense that just came out. I'm aware of The Double, which I've heard is pretty good. I think it's based on uh, Dostoevsky. He's not somebody that I want to follow their career. But from the opening scene, and shout out to Rooney Mara, but as soon as you as soon as you hear ball in a biscuit by the white stripes and everything fades in on that that bar, that opening scene, top three best scenes in that movie. I'm not speaking in code. Erica. You're obsessed with finals clubs. You have finals clubs OCD and you need to see someone about it who will prescribe you some sort of medication. You don't care if the side effects may include blindness. Final clubs. Not finals clubs. And there's a difference between being obsessed and being motivated. Yes. There is. Well, you do. That was cryptic, so you do speak in code. I didn't mean to be cryptic. I'm just saying I need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun, and they lead to a better life. Teddy Roosevelt didn't get elected president because he was a member of the Phoenix Club. He was a member of the Porcellian, and yes, he did. Well, why don't you just concentrate on being the best you you can be? Did you really just say that? I was kidding. Although just because something's straight doesn't make it any less I want to try to be straightforward with you and tell you that I think you might want to be a little more supportive. If I get in, I will be taking you to the events and the gatherings, and you'll be meeting a lot of people you wouldn't normally get to meet. You would do that for me? We're dating. Okay. Well, I want to try and be straightforward with you and let you know that we're not anymore. What do you mean? 
I'm not dating anymore, I'm sorry. Is this a joke? No, it's not. You're breaking up with me? You are gonna introduce me to people I wouldn't normally have the chance to meet. What the f- What is that supposed to mean? Wait, settle down. What is it supposed to mean? Erica, the reason we're able to sit here and drink right now is because he used to sleep with the door guy. The door guy? His name is Bobby. I have not slept with the door guy. The door guy is a friend of mine, and he's a perfectly good class of people. And what part of Long Island are you from? Wimbledon? Wait. I'm going back to wait, my door. Wait, wait. Is this real? Yes. Okay, then wait. I apologize, okay? I have to go study. Erica? Yes. I'm sorry, I mean it. I appreciate that, but I have to go study. Come on, you don't have to study. You don't have to study. Let's just talk. I can't. Why? Because it is exhausting. Dating you is like dating a stairmaster. All I meant is that you're not likely to... Currently. I wasn't making a comment on your parents. I was just saying that you go to BU. I was stating a fact. That's all. And if it seemed rude, then of course I apologize. I have to go study. You don't have to study. Why do you keep saying I don't have to study? Because you go to BU. Want to get some food? I'm sorry you are not sufficiently impressed with my education. I'm sorry I don't have a robot, so we're even. I think we should just be friends. I don't want friends. I was just being polite. I have no intention of being friends with you. I'm under some pressure right now from my OS class, and if we could just order some food, I think we should be... Okay, you are probably going to be a very successful computer person. But you're going to go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true. Not only does that establish his character, but it establishes the pace of the movie. It establishes, you know, right off rip what matters to him. And you know that he's completely unafraid of being an asshole and that the only thing he's vulnerable to is this girl's opinion. Mm -hmm. And I don't give a fuck if that's not true, as everybody says. I don't care. It's a dramatization. Whether that girl existed or didn't, I think his motivation, I think Zuckerberg's motivation, isn't too far off. Uh, but we would both agree that Colin Firth over Jesse Eisenberg? Yeah. Even though Jesse Eisenberg turned in the he, role of his lifetime? I, I, it's, we're not here to talk about best actor. And I would say that if he had won, it would have been completely justified. And I think Firth winning is also completely justified. So moving on to best director, Tom Hooper wins for The King's Speech. I would not put him in the top five of the year. I wouldn't even give him a nomination. It's a beautiful film. It's completely well done. Yeah, it's 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 unremarkably shot. I mean, it's you know that might we might be underselling it a little bit to make a movie look so unremarkably shot that you can't see the craft there. Can you name a Tom Hooper film that when you watch it, you're like, boy, that was so innovative and so original. And you know, and could you watch a Tom Hooper movie and say, oh, that was Tom Hooper? What else has Tom Hooper done? He did, unfortunately, Cats most recently. He did. Um, oh, the Danish girl. The Danish. I'll keep Eddie, Re- the other- Eddie Redmayne. Eddie, Eddie Remain. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that that's him. Hooper did that one, I believe. He doesn't have a distinctive style. It's kind of like Joe Wright in that sense. I like a lot of Joe Wright's movies, but I couldn't watch a Joe Wright movie and go, oh, it's Joe Wright. It just feels, in fact, you, you could show me a Joe Wright movie and give me a list of people. And if you put Cooper on there, I might guess him. So there's five other directors that had films this year, starting with Danny Boyle, who put his own style into 127 Hours, Martin Scorsese, which we brought up, Shutter Island, Christopher Nolan, I kind of think changes the game with Inception. Absolutely. All three of those were not nominated <laughs> for yeah, the that's award. pretty stupid. And then you have the films of Social Network and Black Swan, that I think they were nominated for best director and I would put those I would if they were given to either of them over Tom Hooper's 
in his King speech, we would just gloss over this, this well, category. L- let's focus on who did get nominated. It's stupid that Scorsese didn't get nominated. It's stupid that Nolan didn't get nominated. But let's look at, let's look at what they gave us. Is Hooper out directing Fincher here? I, I don't understand how someone, exactly. I don't understand how someone could say yes. I really don't. So David Fincher's career is like bisected. The movie that kind of sits in the middle of that, the median of that, uh, those two halves, I would say would be Panic Room. That's where his style starts to go towards more of the look and feel, the steadiness that like quiet, calm movements of the camera, the very symmetrical look to his movies and clean look, digital look to his movies that Gone Girl has, that Girl with the Dragon Tattoo has, that Social Network has. And Social Network was the top. I would say between that and Gone Girl are his two best directed films. Not to say that his pre-Panic Room stuff wasn't good. Obviously, I love Seven and Fight Club. I even like the game. This was at the point that he was, it feels very calm and controlled. Whereas when you look at Fight Club with Evan, cuts and cuts and cuts and cuts and, you know, whipping cameras and cutaways and inserts and there's a steadiness. Even in the rowing sequence, it doesn't feel like the manic Fincher of the 90s. Does that make any sense? It does. I I would agree with you on Seven, the game, with kind of like the manic style. Fight Club, I think, was supposed to be. Like if you read the book, Chuck Chuck Palahniuk is famous for not owning a TV, sitting in a library for 18 hours from opening to close and researching like one paragraph of his book because his books jump from fact to fact from from plot point to plot point very quickly. And I feel like Fincher captured that amazingly with Fight Club. I think with Alien 3, which we have to we have to give it to David Fincher that he did Alien 3, he started really quickly, kind of like the same way of like a Michael Bay, where they're both coming from music videos slash commercials, and they feel like they have to thrust imagery at you in order to keep your attention because they're used to 30-second to three-minute mediums. Seven was a very complete movie. I answer unabashedly the question, what's your favorite film? I say seven and leave it at that. Fight Club, like I said, is manic. He does find himself. He almost finds himself with Panic Room. Panic Room, I think, does have some flaws. But when it comes to David Fincher, they say, like, if you see five minutes of a Scorsese film, you can tell that it's a Scorsese film. I think David Fincher is one of those directors. If you see a screenshot from one of his films, if you see that orange tint that he loves so much, you go, that's a David Fincher shot right there. And I think with like the social network, even Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which I think is flawed heavily with the script. I think David Fincher goes, this is my style. This is what I'm going to do. And he he knows how to deliver a complete movie, which I think he does with Social Network. Right on. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you, with you 100%. The Best Picture Award is amalgamation of all things when it comes down to it. Who delivered the best film with the best crew? This goes, you know, from top to bottom. And you were coming out the gate saying social network. The standard answer I would give would be this. Nobody's talking about King's Speech anymore, at least not in the circles that I frequent. I don't hear people bringing mm-hmm. up King's Speech saying mm-hmm. when you see lists that critics and filmmakers made of the best films of the 2010s, I don't think I remember seeing King's Speech on any of those lists. But you bet your ass that Social Network was at the top of many of them. Definitely on there. That's not something that the Academy could have known. So you 
can't really fault them for that. Social Network is different. It's not so much that it was an influential film because it was innovative, although we could argue that it certainly was. Certainly more of a modern film, I would consider a modern film than King's Speech is contrasted perfectly because it's a very traditional film. But The Social Network has continued to gain new audience by A, word of mouth, and B, the continued saga of Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg that rolls ever forward. And the man you know, spoke in front of Congress or that panel, but he sat there and said, you know, we don't sell people's information. And of course he does. Of course they do. And of course he knew that at the time. He has become such an evil American figure of of capitalism and of violating people's rights. But what can you really do when everyone signs up for Facebook voluntarily? The more that technology marches on and the more that technology is integrated in our lives as we sit here <laughs> talking to each other from 2,500 miles away, it, it becomes more and more relevant. And on top of that, it's just, it's completely engaging movie. I never, ever get sick of, I never, like, I'm going to turn this off. I know that's a cliche thing to say, but if I started, I got to finish it. Reznor and Ross's score is Hand Covers Bruise, which I suppose you could refer to as the theme, follows that scene I was talking about in the bar with uh, Mark and, um, what was her name? Erica Albright. Follows that scene so perfectly because he's just shattered by what this woman said to him. And then the whole movement across, I remember, I remember just luxuriating in that part and being like, this is going to be fucking great. Because that was when the credits roll, um, the, the opening scene, the cold open, if you will. It was so, so fucking good. And yeah, I just remember sitting there being like, this is going to be great. And it didn't disappoint. It was good all the way through and it introduced me to Andrew Garfield. It gave Justin Timberlake an opportunity to actually act. I can't say, I don't think I've ever seen anything else that he acted in, thankfully. But uh, he was perfect in this little scumbag prick bastard, although I'm sure he's the nicest dude in the world. I, I, the, the script is, is so disputed. People question the verisimilitude of it. And I don't care. It reminds me of Shakespeare. My SO and I were discussing this and she, I think she said it could be on a stage. It could be a play. It should be a play. It would be so cool to see other people step into those roles. The editing, I think we didn't talk about that, but Social Network won Best Editing. You're on the outskirts of the industry. You know as well as I do that the editing is the final draft of the script, if you will. You know Fincher was in the room. I mean, Fincher was Fincher was in charge of the marketing campaign for this movie. It's the reason that we got one of the greatest trailers ever, which is the choral version of Radiohead's Creep. I mean, just everything worked in this movie. Everything. I would say after King's Speech, I would have to give it to Black Swan. But, or sorry, not after, fuck King's Speech. After Social Network, my runner-up would be Black Swan. The Social Network's trailer showed me a dream team. We already went over that I'm a stand for, for Aaron Sorkin. I think he's my favorite screenwriter working today. David Fincher is my favorite director. Saw them both 
together and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in. And then you get, you know, the score of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. That's, I don't know if they've done a soundtrack before this, but it completely makes sense to bring Trent Reznor, who who knows how to deliver mood. I know that they they remixed his Closer, his track Closer for the opening credits of Seven. Kevin Spacey was, before we realized he was a dirtbag, he was one of the producers and prominently displayed on the on the trailer. And I was like, oh my God, like everybody <laughs> that I yeah, was involved in a movie is involved in this one. That's that unfortunate link that Fincher has. Right. Fincher has it to um, Spacey and Tarantino has it to Weinstein. So before that, I walked into the theater with the highest of high expectations and I walked out of it, met like, oh yeah, never happens really. Like I got chills. I'm always going to see a movie where the trailer gives me chills and Social Network gave me chills. And after I saw it in the theater, I don't know if I went a second time in the theater, but as soon as this came out to buy, I, I bought it. There was no question about it. I agree. Social Network, I would probably display it on one of the pillars at the Dolby Theater and be proud of it. I was thinking about these two movies and stacking them together. And there's a commonality here. They're both about the elite people of the country. It's about king, royalty, and it's about the upper crust of society in America. And both of these protagonists have flaws. They have a defect of some kind. You know, Mark is completely inept at communicating with people. There's a relatability as well to Bertie because of his, the trauma that he's trying to work through because he's afraid. I mean, right down to that, it's fear. So there's a relatability there, but the difference is with King's Speech, you have this notion that give you this very nicely resolved thought that like, well, look, he may be a king and he may be born into this and he may be better than all of us, but he he can lower himself down to the common man. And that's been done. It's been so done to death. It's based on a true story, right? And then you've got social network, which doesn't try to ingratiate you to the elite. In fact, it goes out of its way to support the stereotypes that you may have or any kind of prejudice that you may have against rich Americans, against the upper crust Americans, the Blue Bloods, the Neuenlanders. And I, I think it's interesting in that sense that it doesn't make you feel good when it's over. I mean, it doesn't shatter you, but it doesn't make you feel good. You feel like everything that went down was avoidable. Social Network is about the present and the future. I remember having this conversation with my dad, telling him that he should see this movie. And what he said, I think was echoed by a lot of people. I don't care about a movie about Facebook. I'm not interested in a movie about Facebook. It's like, well, you should be. You should be more interested in an American movie about an American company and about Americans that is still affecting us to this day than you should be about a British king whose story takes place in the 1930s on the other side of the pond. Almost a predetermined backlash against social network because weirdly enough, everybody was on Facebook talking about how they don't want to see a movie about Facebook. And Mark Zuckerberg, for being a billionaire, he did not like the movie. He didn't. I don't think he wanted the movie to exist at all. It was based off of a book that I know he didn't want to exist at all. And so he immediately said, like, well, it's, it's not factual. You already discussed the fact that it's a work of fiction based off of a true story. It's going to be dramatized. Real life is not as interesting 
something as an artistic piece and trying to boil down, I don't know how long social network kind of go. I think it spans like four to five years. Um, and to bring that down into two and a half hours, you're going to have to take real life characters and kind of put them all into one person, which I think they do with Erica Albright. And one of the biggest things that Mark Zuckerberg came out against was Eric Albright did not really exist. I wrote a paper in um, graduate school about, I compared the social network, specifically Mark Zuckerberg to Jay Gatsby and uh, the great Gatsby. My thesis mm-hmm. talked about how they both shared this need to be accepted by women. I did a lot of research to figure out if Erica Albright was real. And there are accounts that I found through reputable sources provided to me through my university that said that she was, and then there were an equal amount of reputable sources that said that she wasn't. So it's up in the air, but I agree with you. It doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter. I don't think it misses the mark. I think it's, it's all about acceptance to layer the, the, the need for uh, social acceptance with the need for romantic acceptance to layer those two needs. I mean, you can't separate one from the other. Santa Claus represents the the spirit of Christmas. Erica Albright represents the women that were not giving Mark Zuckerberg the attention that he wanted. And I feel like that's true. (laughs) His self-esteem when it came to socialization is the exact reason why he developed a social network. Oh, and in the end, I feel like the fact that you're going to walk out of the social network and talk about it and dissect it, it's worthy of study, as they say. Day, where like you walk out of the King speech and you go, eh, Colin Firth was really good in that. You know, like, I don't think it doesn't resonate as much. And I feel like if you're going to award something best picture, that film has to stick with you for, for the rest of your life so that we could say that it is one of the best films in history. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's culturally relevant and it continues to be more and more relevant. And I don't think that relevance is going away as long as the blue banner of Facebook is on the cell phones and the laptops and the tablets of Americans. And I mean, fuck, all across the world. As long as that's there, this is going to be a relevant movie. And it's relevant for Americans. And it's an American award. It's not about the patriotism, though, man. It's just what's the better movie. And it's it's fucking social network. But we lost. Well, yeah, we lost. But thankfully, on our podcast, we won. I would conclude with that, that in 2011, the Oscars got it wrong. The social network goes up on our pillar. Yeah, big thanks to our listeners. Thanks for popping in. And um, please stay tuned if you enjoyed this or if you want to get after us. I think right now it's probably only people that have us in their phones. So go ahead and send, shoot us a text and we'll work on a an Instagram page, a Facebook page or maybe even a Twitter. I don't like to fuck with Twitter too much, but uh, yeah, big thanks for listening. So until we come up with a catchphrase, uh, good, good night and good luck. I need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun and they lead to a better life. People want to go on the internet and check out their friends, so why not build a website that offers that friends, pictures, profiles. I'm talking about taking the entire social experience of college and putting it online. The site got 2,200 hits within two hours. 1,000. 22,000. 
This idea is potentially worth millions of dollars. Millions? You stole our website. They're saying we stole the Facebook. I know what it said. So did we? A million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. You're going to get left behind. It's moving faster than any of us ever imagined. Get left behind. Let's sue him in federal court. I can't wait to stand over your shoulder and watch you write as a check. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, that to Facebook. Is there anything that you need to tell me? Your actions could have permanently destroyed everything I've been working on. We have been working on. Did you like being a joke? Do you want to go back to that? Mark! This is our time. You're being accused of intentionally breaching security, violating copyrights, violating individual privacy. Your best friend is suing you for $600 million. As for the charges, I believe I deserve some recognition from this board. Uh, I'm sorry? Yes. I don't understand. Which part? Well, that concludes episode 101 of Spro and Lee Take on the Academy. Please be sure to subscribe as we will be back to challenge the Oscar that goes to the beloved Pixar movie Up. Oh, yes. We're going to tell you. Why Up is one great 12-minute montage followed by 80 minutes of a train wreck film you barely remember. In all honesty, season one has already been recorded. Episode one was recorded back in May, and we have put together our social media since then. Lee, what is our social media? You can find us and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spro and Lee, all one word, or email us at takeontheacademy at gmail.com. Please be sure to message us any of your comments, questions, or concerns, or suggestions for future episodes as we are hard at work putting together season two for you for the year 2021. And as recent events have proven, the Academy Awards can change. And us, Lee Charles, myself, and you, dear listener, can maybe get the Academy to award the rightful winners the first time. And to you, gentle listener, we say... Good night and good luck. It's a great movie. See you September 14th.